Uh, let me, before I jump in, let me go ahead and just open in prayer, and then we will uh, jump into uh, today's topic. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for everyone who's here, whether in person or online, uh, those being represented. I pray that you'd be the hero today. I just pray that uh, Jesus would uh, reign supreme in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, um, and that as we read through your scripture, that we would uh, be convicted, uh, that you would point out areas of weakness, areas of sin, and yet at the same time, uh, that we would be lifted up knowing that grace and mercy abound uh, through your son. And so I just pray that uh, you'd be honored and glorified now as we uh, dive into your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we've been going through, this is week five now in the book of Hebrews of Jesus is greater. And, and have you ever, because uh, the, the author of Hebrews is going to do this this morning where he's going to say, yeah, this, this was good. Like, I'm not saying this was bad. This was good, but this is better. Uh, this is better. And I think of, I've got a neighbor across the street. They've got a little girl, uh, praise Jesus, just in the life of COVID, uh, who's the same age as my son. And so they, they, they're just always together. I mean, every day it's, can we call Savannah? Uh, we actually, uh, hopefully Henry's not paying attention right now, but for his birthday, uh, we actually got him walkie talkies uh, so he can talk with his neighbor friend, uh, which I don't know if that, that might backfire real fast, uh, but we're going to try it. Because uh, it's just just text Mr. Mike and see if you know Savannah can whatever all these right. So, I'm, but anyways, but my neighbor across the street, we've really gotten to know them. Uh, and Mike is uh, uh, older than me. He's you know been a homeowner a lot longer than me, and he's just wiser. You know, he's just a smart dude. And so there'll be times where it's like you know we'll be working on something. He'll come over. He'll see me struggling on something. He's like, yeah, you're not doing it wrong, but you could try it like this, right? Uh, and this would be a faster, more efficient, better way to do that. And that's kind of what the author of Hebrews is going to do here. Uh, that he, he or she's going to say, hey, th- this isn't bad, but let's look at something that is better. That was good, but this is better. And specifically, Jesus, obviously, is always going to be the center of this. Jesus is always going to be better. Um, but let's just do a quick recap. So whether you're, you're new to the book of Hebrews, maybe you've been coming every week, uh, I just want to give a quick, a quick recap of just where we've been. And so I've got a couple slides here from previous weeks, uh, but I've, I've read this one every week, fifth week now of these different verses in John and Luke, where Jesus says, all of these scriptures are about me. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And then at the bottom of Luke there in 27, it says, in beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was to be said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then we have this quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And she's at the center of the story, there's a baby the child upon whom everything would depend. From Noah to Moses to King David, every story whispers his name. Jesus is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And the analogy that I've been using is this idea that the the box, the present's pretty. It's good. There's nothing wrong with the box, nothing wrong with this pretty wrapping, right? And as kids are always drawn back to just go play with the box rather than the, the gift itself, The author of Hebrews is saying, this was good, this is pretty, but man, let's focus on the gift. Let's focus on Christ. Not so much the messenger, but the actual message and who Christ is. That's what's important. And using this, and the author of Hebrews, again, has been using this kind of maritime analogy, and he's going to use this exact phrase today, specifically, hold fast, don't drift away. I want you to hold on to Jesus. Now that you've opened this gift, now you've gone from the Old Testament, you've emerged into the New Testament, and we see Christ fully, clearly, He was talked about all over the place. Every story in the Old Testament screams, it's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. It's about the coming one. And now he's here. Don't turn your eyes and go back. 
Again, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. It was written to those individuals who were were Jewish Christians, that they once had this faith, this religion in Yahweh, and they were waiting for the Messiah, and now they're convinced, no, this is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. So now hold fast. Don't don't, Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and look back. And again, we've been using these phrases over and over that we would see Jesus. Last week, we actually even got to sing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Uh, using the phrase of fix your eyes on Jesus. And I've been quoting uh, Gardner C. Taylor. Uh, just this one night, he's preaching and the lights go out, right? He's, he's preaching and the lights turn off in the church and he stops preaching and here's a voice yell out from the back. A voice soon ring out from one of the proofs. Go on, preacher. We can see Jesus in the darkness. And it's just this theme that the author of Hebrews is constantly saying, look, at Jesus. Look at him. Stay focused on him. Focus on him. Focus on him. Well, this week, now the author of Hebrews has been building their their case that Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He's going to use, or she's going to use that, that phrase 13 different times, that Jesus is greater. But this week, it's going to shift, and the author of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is greater than Moses. And we're going to specifically look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is greater than Moses. And, and if you've been around Lower Town for a while, we went through Exodus. We spent, I, I forget what it was, 38 to 40 weeks uh, walking through the book of Exodus. Now, this, is, this was a while back. I, had, I actually tried to go back and find when it was exactly that we did this, but it was in the, in the year of 2018, which seems like, at least three decades ago. Uh, it just seems like a really long time ago. And looking at how awesome Moses was. And, and, I, and I actually, it's, it's kind of funny because every time we preach through a book, the book ends up becoming my new favorite book, right? So going through Exodus, I just fell in love with Exodus. And going through Nehemiah, fell in love with Nehemiah. Going through a Job, fell in love with Job. Going through First and Second Peter, fell in, even more in love with those books. And now that I'm in Hebrews, I'm like, man, Hebrews is clearly my favorite book. Uh, but I know that the next book we do, I'm like, yeah, but this one, it's because the whole Bible is all about Jesus. And so it's just awesome. And so when we look at, you know, Charlton Heston, right, and, and Moses and and as much, and it's a, it's a familiar, maybe this movie, and, and maybe Prince of Egypt might be more of the millennial uh, uh, movie. And there's a couple other ones, I think, with, uh, what was his name? Christian Bale did one. Uh, that eh, wasn't my favorite. Um, Prince of, it's weird when a cartoon beats out like an actual Hollywood production, but whatever. Um, anyways, we, we, I think we have this stigma in our mind of how awesome Moses is. And that for sure was also true of any Hebrew or any Jew who, who knew who Moses was, knew the story of Moses, who led our people out of slavery in Egypt. He's the guy. He's the pinnacle of all the guys that we could look back to in the Old Testament. And now the author of Hebrews is going to say, yeah, but someone's better. Someone's better. So all I want to do as I've got just four, four points, they're just kind of questions as we look at this, uh, at this text. Of One is being, where have we been? We're going to look at, then what are we going to do about it? And then why? And then why uh, 2.0? Because I couldn't come up with another question. But here it is. <clears throat> where have we been? Well, this passage in chapter 3, and I'll have all of the, the text up on the screen. I'm reading out of NIV this week. And so I'm going to have this up on the screen, uh, but feel free to follow along in Hebrews chapter 3. So it starts off, with this, therefore, and I've been a bit, we've we've done this in chapter two. The author used that same phrase, and if you remember, it was kind of kind of 
you know, tongue in cheek, but, but when we come across the word therefore, we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for, right? Why, why, what, why is it there? Okay, so, so the author of Hebrews wants us to go back and wants us to recall everything that we've already been over. And so I'm not gonna necessarily do, because I kind of just did that in, in, the, in a quick recap, but where have we been? And so we look at Jesus is greater than, we can see that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament prophets. And, and if you go back just to the opening verses, that in various ways and in many different places, Old Testament prophets said this, but now, now we have Jesus. We saw that Jesus was superior to angels. And again, that may seem a little odd. Why does the author of Hebrews go there? And that actually uh, comes to even more light today, why he starts with Jesus being superior to angels. Uh, but then it just, Jesus, Jesus' gospel is greater than the Old Testament law. And I think anybody who's lived, uh, maybe even within the church even, and it's just law, 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 live like this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And then you constantly realize, yeah, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm a failure. I'm a horrible person. I'm a, I'm, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know about any of this. That Jesus gives the freedom and the confidence that we're going to even see today and the hope, expectant hope that this is real, this is true, that he offers grace and mercy. And then we see that Jesus is 100% human and he's, Jesus is 100% God. Uh, just as last week in, in uh, Systematic Theology on Thursday nights, uh, Paul was teaching on this topic, on the, on the person of Jesus Christ. And it ends we, in our textbook in Wayne Grudem, his, in his uh, Systematic Theology book. Uh, he ends it, this chapter of like, out of all, all of the uh, uh, doctrines that we have in our Bible, this one, the fact that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God is by far the greatest mystery. Forget the virgin birth, forget the Trinity, forget a lot of these things. This one takes the cake. This is a profound mystery that the creator of the universe takes on flesh. That the, I mean, the, the, the creator and sustainer of life becomes a baby and he's laid in a manger. Right, that he's born of a virgin and yet he's born. Right, he's gonna fall asleep on a boat and, then he, and his disciples are going to be freaking out and losing their minds. And he's going to wake up and say, peace, be still. And the waves are going to remember their creator's voice. That he's going to go to the cross and he's going to be betrayed by his best friends. He's going to be nailed to a cross and he's going to bleed and he's going to die. But not just die, he's going to die for the sins of the world. This is a profound mystery. And then finally, we have seen that Jesus... Uh, and that he's greater than the situations the Old Testament prophets wrote about. And again, we, we've looked at this every week. There's not been one week where we haven't really gone into the Old Testament. That the author of Hebrews is saying, you know this. You've memorized this as if you're memorizing for a test. Now I just want you to apply it to the real world. This was the present. This was the box that was beautiful. It was good. But now let's look at Jesus. Jesus is what all of these Old Testament quotes were even talking about. All right, moving on. So now what should we be doing with all that in mind, right? That's the therefore, where have we been, but now, now what should we be doing? He says, she says, we don't know. Uh, that's why I always do that. I always try to catch myself. Uh, we don't know who wrote this book. Um, so the author says this, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. This idea of, of fixing our thoughts, right? We've been using this phrase of fix your eyes on Jesus, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, hold fast. And, he, and then the author of Hebrews is just gonna keep using that language. Now I want you to not just fix your eyes, not just hold fast, I want you to fix your thoughts 
on Jesus. And I was thinking about what, what was that? What does that mean? What does it mean to fix my thoughts on something or someone? And I, and I immediately was, was thrown back to, to junior high um, at the pinnacle of my basketball career. Uh, a lot of us probably don't know this about me, but I've been the same height since sixth grade. So I was 6'2 in sixth grade. I actually still have football cleats that I wore in eighth grade because uh, they still fit. Uh, so it was fun in junior high, right? I was a beast in junior high. And then everyone got bigger, better, faster, stronger than me. And it didn't really work uh, once I got to high school and college. I have one point in my college basketball career. Uh, it was a free throw. And then I thought, I've only, we were down by like 50 points. You know, it was garbage time and they put me in. Uh, made a free throw and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some more points. And so I actually purposefully missed, just tried to hit the rim to get the ball to bounce back to me and didn't work. So I have one point. Um, in junior high, that's where I was, junior high, we had a coach, his name was Mr. Wetzel, and uh, he had this thing where he would have us close our eyes and just think about the game. I just want you to think about different situations. If somebody does this, what are you going to do, right? And, we, and on the bus or wherever we were going in the locker room, we would just sit there and we'd close our eyes and we would just meditate. We would just think about different situations and, and ways that this might go. And I, and I, and I'm, but I remember, though, not only in those moments leading up to the game were our thoughts completely on basketball. But I remember just sitting in class, right? I mean, just all day, when's the bell going to ring? Because especially if it was an away game, you got to leave school early, uh, get on a bus, and it was just all, it was all I could think about was, was the game. I, mean, I don't know what's going on. Preposition, what does that even mean? Participle, who knows? I don't care. I uh, know basketball, though, right? And that, that's, it consumed my thoughts. Uh, I think about when I first met Angela. I remember I, I emailed her right before her Christmas break, uh, in college. I sent her an email, but I didn't know this, but I sent it to her work email, not her personal email. And I, and this was before Wi-Fi. It wasn't like I could just check my phone. Uh, I had to like, you know, earn, earn, you know, like log into the web uh, and check my email. And, and I was, and I was consumed. Is she ever going to email me back? Am I just weird now? And then uh, she did email me back once the next semester started. And she's like, oh, this was my work email. Yeah, let's hang out. And the rest is history. And just thinking about those moments and those times where my thoughts have been completely and utterly consumed by something, that is this idea to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Doesn't mean, that doesn't mean don't function as a normal human being, right? Go about your way, go about your business, but our thoughts should always be going back to him. So the next point is why then? Why should we fix our eyes? Why should we fix our thoughts? Why should we hold fast to Jesus? Well, again, the author says this, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle. Now, one uh, interesting aspect, any of our English translations, they're phenomenal. I love, we, we've got a lot of different translations out there, but they, and they're all trustworthy. Uh, but sometimes translators will, will just to, to make it a little bit helpful, a little bit more clear, is they'll, they'll kind of do a, a phrase instead of a, a specific word. And so I'm not going to get into the Greek here or anything like that. But that word acknowledge here, when I read this, right, Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle, when I, when I acknowledge someone, right, it's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Right, that's an acknowledgement. You know what I mean? I, I just don't feel like that's like I'm, I'm with you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just like, hey, what's up? And, and I, that's not what this word is portraying. A lot of other translations will actually put the word in there, whom we confess as our apostle. And, and that, I think, hits it a little bit stronger. But when I think confess, to me, I think, right, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a box and I've got some uh, detective screaming at me and I'm like, fine, I did it. Yes, all right, he's my apostle, right? That's, that's to me, when I hear that word confess, it has a negative connotation 
And so out of the translations, I think one of the best translations actually is the King James, which I know I kind of tease and make fun of. That's what I grew up with, and, and it's a little very archaic. It's hard to read. But in this word, it actually uses the word profession, whom we profess. It's not a negative connotation. I'm saying, no, I'm going to tell everybody my thoughts are fixed on Jesus. Why? And I'm going to profess it. I'm going to proclaim who he is and what he's done for me. And what he has done and who he is for me is an apostle. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used to describe, to describe Jesus. We may be a little familiar with this word, maybe not. It's not a word that we use um, in everyday language. We wouldn't just uh, walk up and, I don't know, use, use apostle just in, in the conversation. And so we might not be familiar with it. We may be familiar with it in the sense of, oh yeah, there's the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter, right? We have St. Saint, Saint Peter's Basilica and St. Paul's you know, uh, uh, cathedral and all these different aspects. And so we have this idea of apostle as a title, but I don't know if we really fully understand what it means. And, and simply defined, apostle simply just means someone who is sent. But what's implied with someone who is sent, it means they have something to deliver, right? This could be a, a post carrier, carrier, right? Someone who do post carrier, who uses that language? A mailman, right? Or a mailwoman who comes and they, have, they are sent by the post office. Why? To deliver something, right? That's the same idea. We might maybe in political terms use that idea of an ambassador. They've been sent by the government. Why? To represent the government. They don't have the freedom to just do what they want to do. They have a message that they need to give a foreign government on behalf of our government. It's the same idea of being sent, with a message, with, with, with a purpose. And so we see this about Jesus. Jesus is our sent one. Looking at John chapter 3, 16 through 19, one of the most famous verses, well-known well verses in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. But listen to the language here, this idea of apostle. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then Jesus is going to use this same language even about himself in John 20, verse 21, that he's going to specifically say, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. I have been sent. I am the sent one. So with that in mind, as we look at Jesus, whom we acknowledge as the sent one on our behalf and high priest, high priest, again, maybe some language that we don't normally use. This idea of a high priest would have been somebody uh, who would have been in charge of the, 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 the religion of Israel. Uh, and they would have, on one day, there was a called a day of atonement. One day a year, they would enter into the Holy of Holies, perform a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation. And so here, what the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus now, we don't have this person in a position. He's got the robes. He's wearing his cool, fancy hat. That's not what's happening anymore. He's sent on our behalf, and he atones for my sins. That's what's wrapped up in just those few little words there. And it says, he was faithful, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him, that is God, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses. So again, just kind of following his line of thought, he's saying Jesus equals faithfulness to God. Moses equals faithfulness to God, but Jesus 
is greater than Moses. I was racking my brain trying to come up with something that might hit home that, you know, when you walk out of here, what do I want them to remember? How can, how can I really let my church know that Jesus is greater, even than Moses, someone that, that everyone looks up to, specifically within a Jewish religion, and that these Hebrews would have looked up to. And I, the only thing I could think of that I think it actually uh, works better than I thought was, was a, a beef burrito from, from Taco Bell. Mm. When we look at a beef burrito, and I, and I mean this facetiously, but just, just, just track with me here, all right? This actually works out a little better than I thought it would, okay? It was meant to be funny, and I'm like, wow, this actually works. Um, that we have a beef burrito. You could, you could write, not right now, but after church, you could drive over to Taco Bell. You could get seven of these for $7. I mean, come on. You can get stuffed out of your mind for $7. I don't recommend that. It's gluttony. It's bad. Right, but, but it's just good. It's, it's, you know, it's got some little rice. I'm not a huge fan of rice in a, in a burrito like that, but I get it, right? Some rice, there's some beef, with lots of cheese, right? And a tortilla. It's, I mean, you can't, you put some Diablo sauce on that. <clears throat> it's perfect, right? It's amazing. But a beefy five-layer burrito is far superior, right? It just is. Now, then this is exactly what the author of Hebrew does, that they're not saying the beef burrito's bad. No, no, no. The beef burrito's good. This is better. Moses was great. Jesus is better. Now, this might be the first time in church history Jesus has been compared to a beefy five-layer burrito from Taco Bell. I don't care. I stand by this, all right? Because let's just think about this, right? Because again, the author of Hebrews isn't dogging Moses or saying that he was bad. He was great. And Jesus, though, is greater. And even at Taco Bell, you have to pay more for a beefy five-layer burrito than just a regular beef burrito just like Jesus had to pay more for our sins. <laughs> Jesus had to give his life, unlike Moses. <laughs> Moses was the value meal. Jesus is superior. Now, I know that's kind of goofy, but hopefully you'll remember that. But let me quote F.F. F. Bruce. He'll put this a little bit more into a theological perspective for us. He says this. He's going to actually use the word envoy instead of apostle. So just keep that in mind, but it's the same thing. Someone who's, who's delivering something. In both respects, Jesus has proved himself faithful. A faithful high priest and a faithful envoy, ambassador, or uh, apostle. The faithfulness of an envoy consists in his loyalty, discharging of the commission with which he has been entrusted. And such faithfulness would, was manifested preeminently in the sent, the sent one of God, Jesus, who glorified his father on earth by finishing the work which he had given him to do. Jesus was sent to the earth to live a life that we couldn't, as fully God, fully man, suffered the way we suffer, tempted the way we were tempted, but he never, ever gave in to sin. And he died a bloody death on the cross, a death that we deserve on our behalf. He delivered that. He was sent and he did it right. The combining of the two roles of divine envoy and priest in one person is not common in the Old Testament. It appears only in a few outstanding characters, among whom Moses occupies a special place. That Moses was an apostle of God to his people does not call for demonstration. And he's just going to kind of move on, but I think it's, it's important to remember the story of Moses. How was he sent? And we can look at the life of Moses and realize that even as a child, that he was set apart just like Jesus, right? Every story in the Old Testament just goes, this is Jesus. That Pharaoh is mass murdering babies just like Herod does in the New Testament with Christ. 
And God spares Moses' life. He's put into a basket. He's sent on the stream and a, and, a, and a princess, one of Pharaoh's daughters, finds Moses. And he, he rises now again. He might not have been the prince of Egypt, but he was certainly a type of prince of Egypt. And his life is spared. But as he's out and he's a teenager and he's in his 20s, and he looks out and he sees his people, the Hebrews, being mistreated. They're slaves. And their slave masters, obviously, are mistreating them. And he lashes out and he can't handle it. And he takes it into his own hands, something that we try to do all the time, and we fail miserably, unlike Jesus, who's greater. And what does he do? He kills an Egyptian. He kills a slaver. And then he flees to the wilderness for his life. He's out there for 20 years. On his, around he's 40. I don't know if it was on his birthday, but when he was 40, he's out there in the wilderness. And what happens? God talks to him out of a bush and says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to go. I want to send you back to Egypt. I want to send you to Pharaoh, and I want you to look him in the face, and I want you to say, let my people go. That is what he's saying. Doesn't We don't need to talk about it. That's Moses. He was sent on behalf of God to do something. But then F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says here, it is equally true that he was his people's most effective intercessor with God. It was his brother Aaron and not he who was high priest of Israel as far as an investiture uh, were concerned, right? Just this, he had it by title. Uh, he wore the robes. Uh, he wore the funny hat. He did all the things. And yet it wasn't necessarily him that was face to face with God. But it was Moses and not Aaron who was Israel's true advocate with God. After the idolatrous festival in honor of the golden calf in which Aaron himself was implicated, it was Moses whose prevailing plea procured pardon. Right now, I'm not, a, I'm not a good writer. Amy, you can correct me on this. You, you do a lot of writing. I'm not sure if it's ever wise to use four P words right in a row. Okay, so Moses, whose prevailing plea procured pardon for his guilty people. Now, it's Moses is the one that going to Jesus. We're going to God. Say, don't, don't do this. Don't, because God is like, I'm going to, this is, I'm done with this. I can't handle this. I just told him, don't, don't worship any false idols. And they're literally worshiping a false idol. And, he, and, and Moses says, don't, 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 don't. We can turn this around. As it did on a later occasion when the unfavorable report of the spies caused rebellion in the camp and a resolution to return to Egypt. And over and over and over again, they're just saying, we want to go back. We want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. And over and over, Moses intercedes the same way that Christ does. So I want to go back because I just want to look at, I just had a quick couple of verses here of Jesus being superior to the angels. Why is, why is that significant? Going back just to the beginning of the book, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And again, we, we talked about this in weeks past, and we we're looking at these verses specifically, but Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses, but why is that significant? Because he starts, right? He's building blocks, right? He's, he's making a wall out of bricks. And he's saying, we started here. We started with Jesus being superior to angels, and that was significant within Jewish religion because the angels are the ones that, that gave the law. The angels are the ones that, that helped the people through the wilderness. The angels did all these things, so they had this kind of pecking order, if you will. And so he starts there. She starts there. The author starts there and says, okay, well, let's, we laid that foundation. Jesus is superior because we used your text. We went back to the Old Testament, looked at, wow, 
wow, angels are really cool. They're really great. But guess what? Jesus is greater. I'm using the text that you guys are, all know. And now here we go. Let's apply it now. Jesus is greater. Now he's going to say Jesus is greater, more significant than even the angels. So, uh, quoting here Kent Hughes, it says, to all Jews, Moses was simply the greatest. That even in their minds, as great as angels were, Moses was even greater than the angels. According to one early tradition, Moses was superior to the angels, having higher rank and privilege than the ministering angels. So you've got these <laughs> angels that are great, they're good, and Moses is even greater, right? Maybe this is like the angels are the, are the bean burrito of the relationship. You got Moses as the beef burrito of the relationship, and you got Jesus now as the five-layer beefy burrito. I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to keep going. But listen, Jesus is superior. Because we can look to Moses, who goes into Egypt and says, let my people go, free them from slavery. And Jesus is going to do the exact same thing. He's going to be sent by God, but he's not going to look Pharaoh or a human being in the face. He's going to look death in the face. He's going to look Satan in the face. And he's going to say, you let my people go. They're free from sin. They're free from death. So why? Should we fix our eyes on Jesus 2.0? He's going to keep going with this. He's going to explain it. Here's why. He's an apostle. He's a high priest. Let's keep going with this analogy. Why Jesus is superior? Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And I was trying to think. I think it's, it's lost a little bit when we think about builders and uh, architects. I know that there's a big plaque right out front of First Baptist here on, on the building of who the architect was. Uh, but I don't know who built my house. I have no idea. But there's certain buildings, we can think of really popular buildings that we might actually know who that is. Maybe we're familiar with Frank Lloyd Wright um, and other uh, architects that we do, yeah, this, this person made a name for themselves in this building. If you buy a house, that may just be like a meh house today. If it was built by Frank Lloyd Wright, it's, it's worth more. And that's the idea. Just as the build of their house has greater honor than the house itself. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the house in the rock. Anyone ever been there before in Wisconsin? All right, if you've been there, you know how bizarre this place is. I mean, it is, I can't even, I can't even, I was trying to find pictures and I was like, I can't even, it's too much, it's too much. Uh, I took my wife there uh, a couple years ago, just on the way home from Illinois and, and it's really bizarre. So this, this guy, his name is Alex Jordan. Um, and a lot of times people have given Frank Lloyd Wright honors that he built it, but he didn't, he had nothing to do with it. But this guy, Alex Jordan, he said, I want to build a house up on a rock, this huge rock formation in Wisconsin. But he built this thing uh, called an infinity room. And then as you look down this room, it, it seems to just go on forever. It's, it's a really bizarre feeling when you're in there. So this is the inside view. This is the side view, right? It just hangs out. It's just embedded into the rock. Um, and it's just, it's just a very bizarre uh, place. But he builds this house. And, and so this, this is the, the guy, super cool, you know, in his uh, suit, tie, and pants there, smoking a cigarette on the rock. Um, but it says this, during the construction, curious onlookers and neighboring children were so intrigued by what Jordan was building uh, that he charged them 25 cents to tour the structure during the construction phase, and he just kept doing that. But then it turned into this weird museum. I mean, weird museum. All right, but you got you to gotta just look it up or, or go check it out. But it's weird. Uh, but it's pretty cool at the same time. I, I like it. I think it's a lot of fun. All right, Alex Jordan, he's, he's more important than the house. The, the builder of the house is more important. So going back to the text, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So what's, this is actually the only time in this text this week that he quotes the Old Testament. He's quoting Numbers 12, 7. He's been, he's been quoting Old Testament like crazy. So there have been weeks we spent more time reading Old Testament passages than what the author of Hebrews has interjected. Here, this is the only time he does this. is Numbers 12, 7. And in context, what happens is uh, uh, Aaron and Miriam, uh, Moses' brother and sister, are upset with Moses because Moses married a non-Israelite. And they get really upset. You can't do that. You can't mingle with a different ethnicity. That's, that's wrong, right? So Moses is ready to confront you. And then God shows up and he's like, whoa, 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 who do you think you are? And he says, Aaron, Miriam, I talk to you through visions and dreams and through smoke. But Moses, I talk to him face to face. Right, and we have this image over here in the stained glass window, right, of when Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, right, and God passes by and Moses just turns and sees the afterburners of where God once was. God talks to Moses and he says, he's faithful. So with that context in mind of how this is who Moses was, his face glowed with the glory of God. And it says, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant, in all of God's house, what? Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Even Moses is saying this is all about Jesus. And just again, going back to that Luke passage, beginning with Moses, that Jesus is sharing who he is. And he starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He starts with Moses and the prophets, and he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Moses was a great servant, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Moses was a really good servant. He did his duty. He, he did what he was asked to do, even above and beyond a lot of times. But Christ, he's not a servant. Christ is the son of the house. He's the master of the house. Conveys a very different story. And we are his house. And I could spend a lot of time here talking temple language and what would this be like? And this is actually very first century language um, of uh, within Caesar and their house and all these different things. He said, no, we are now his house. We are the house of Christ and the son is now over us. If, if indeed, here's that word, we hold firm. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. What's the confidence? What's the hope in which we glory? It's Jesus, that he's greater, he's superior, he's better. And I, and I love this, uh, this, this kind of dichotomy. It seems like a, like a, a juxtaposition of, of confidence and hope because sometimes we use that word hope as like, ah, man, yeah, I hope, man, I really hope I, I get that job. Man, I really hope that I, 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 they don't mess up my coffee this morning. Ah, whatever, right? We kind of use it like, yeah, I kind of hope. Our, the name of our church is Hope Community Church. It's not named Hope Community Church. It's like, ah, yeah, I kind of hope this thing all works out. No, hope in scripture is always a, an expected hope. This is, gonna, this is gonna happen. Why? Because God said it was gonna happen. That's my confidence. And now I put my hope in Christ in which we get to glory. And here, we can think of this, so if you read this, you might read this and say, okay, does this mean that I can let go of Christ and lose my salvation? That's not what this is talking about here. I thought we got to hold on. And again, who's he? he's writing to the Hebrews, people who were not believers in Christ, and they became believers in Christ, 
and they're being turned away. They're being pulled away. Things of the world, uh, something comes up and he's saying, just hold on. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Hold firmly to him. Don't be turned away by the world. So in closing, in application, fix your thoughts and hold fast to Jesus. That's easier said than done. So maybe just a little bit deeper on that. What is it that consumes my thoughts? What is it about this world that tempts me to to loosen my grip on the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is it? The hard thing when it comes to these kinds of, of aspects of holding fast and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus are actually the good things of life. Things that I would even, we could open the scriptures right here and we could preach about how it would be good to be uh, and, and honoring to God, to be a good parent. Uh, all these different things. Right? We could open our Bible, but, but the thing is when, when it's a good thing, that's honorable, when that consumes our thoughts, it's still idolatry. Uh, this isn't necessarily, and I don't think the author of Hebrews here is saying that things of the, of the world is like, I've got, a, I've got you know, the thing that's, that's pulling me back. I've got an addiction to meth, and I just want to go back to that. If that's you, I'm praying for you. Come talk to me after church. But I don't think that's what we struggle with, at least necessarily in this congregation. I think what we struggle with is idolatry. Idolatry to family, to me. I want to focus on my, my physical health, and I'm going to do all these different things. The, the way I look, my appearance has become an idol. My emotional health. I just need some time. I just need to focus on me right now. That's a good thing, but it can clearly become a, a, an idol. I'm to focus on my mental health, fill in, the break, break, no, the, fill in the blank. Maybe my family. For me, this is me. This was me just thinking this morning, saying, what consumes my thoughts? And right now, it's my unborn little girl. <laughs> that consumes my thoughts. The, the health of my wife consumes my thoughts. And it's becoming an idol. I don't think anybody would say, Brian, you shouldn't. No, don't even think about your little girl. Don't even think about the health of your wife. No, that's not what I'm saying. But has it become an idol? Is it an idol of of maybe trying to have a baby? Is it an idol of saying, do I even want kids? Is it an idol to say, I don't want kids? Is it an idol maybe my job and getting a promotion? I'm going to do this. I'm going to crush the people under me that maybe even help me get to this position just so I can have this. It just consumes us. We ought to fix our eyes, fix our thoughts on Christ. And this isn't a, a command in the sense it is. It's one of, the, one of the few commands. The other one was don't drift. That was a command. And this is the other one of, of hold firmly. But there are just things in this world that are so easily take our eyes back. And as we sang last week, right, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is who Christ is. He's so good. He's so worth it. He's so valuable. Jesus is greater. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And I want us to do this. I want to fix our thoughts on him. As we partake of these elements, and if you haven't had a chance to get them, they're in, they're in the back. You can just grab, a, they're, they're, you know, everything's clean and sanitized, just individual things of a, a little wafer and a juice. And we can partake of these elements together of looking at the body of Christ that was broken for our sins, that we can take the the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilt and shed for our sins. That as we're taking these elements, as we're, we're tasting them, we're viscerally remembering and viscerally putting our thoughts back on Jesus, 
who is far greater than anything that maybe came to mind as we're going through this gospel application. Jesus is greater because he died for my sins. When we look at communion, all I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. And if you're watching online, go grab something. Go grab some, some juice, some kind of cracker, water. It doesn't matter to me. Not the elements that are important. It's the thought and the heart behind it. Just, I want to I commune with God. I want to remember what it is that Jesus did for me. That makes him superior. Moses can't die for my sins. Angels can't die for my sins. I can't die for my sins. Only Jesus can do that. Let me pray. We'll sing, and as we're singing these next two songs, feel free to partake of those elements as you feel fit. Pray, confess, sing, and just uh, be led by the Spirit in that moment. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. It, it, it just is so much fun every single week uh, that I have the amazing privilege to be able to dig into these scriptures. Um, I love my job. I love the people. I love the people in this room. I love the people online. I love the people that I can see chiming in uh, on Facebook Live. I, I, I love these people. I love being able to care for them, but as much as I care for them, as much as I love them, it doesn't even hold a candle to what Christ did, how much Christ loved them, how much Christ cares for them, how much he wants them to hold fast to who he is. So God, I just pray in this time of communion that we would reflect we would remember who you are and remember the sent one that died on our behalf, our high priest who atoned for our sins in a way that we couldn't. And it's in his most precious name we pray, amen.